welcome back to To The Point at the Wilson Center's Latin American program. I'm your host, Benjamin Gadam. My special guest today is Ernesto Talvi, Uruguay's foreign minister, who competed in last year's presidential election as the Colorado Party candidate. In the first of two episodes with the foreign minister, we discuss Uruguay's remarkable success containing COVID-19, accomplished without the economically costly lockdowns seen elsewhere in Latin America. Minister, thank you so much for joining us. Obviously, it's an extraordinarily complex time, not only dealing with the economic and public health aspects of the coronavirus, but the foreign affairs aspects as well. And I wanted to start actually by talking to you about Uruguay's management of the public health part of this. Now, I know that's not your portfolio, but it's been an extraordinary success by all accounts. Bloomberg actually has a piece out just today talking about um, Uruguay's success in the testing rates, in limiting the spread of the coronavirus, and in doing all of this without imposing the very economically costly national quarantines that we've seen in neighboring Argentina and commonly throughout Latin America. I want to ask how you've been able to achieve this. Uh, I think uh, I think it's two two basic pillars that explain this this outcome. Uh, first, the very very quick reaction. The moment we had the first case, we immediately uh, closed the schools, uh, public events, massive agglomerations. Uh, we immediately uh, established uh, protocols for voluntary confinement um, that had, I would say, somewhere beyond 80 to 85 percent compliance. Uh, So the first month, month and a half, really, uh, it was it was a very, very rapid response and a very, very rapid reaction from the population. Uh, while at the same time, I think uh, there was a great job done by the health authorities in testing and tracking without any sophisticated devices. I mean, basically what we did as a country is we detected foggy uh, of the uh, of the coronavirus, and therefore, if somebody tested positive, their immediate contacts were immediately tested in order to try to contain it within the confines of the of the uh, of the nucleus of the problem, and then we did some selective random testing to try to detect if there could be some other fucking around, but it was always on the basis of selective, uh, where the, actually the, the, the thing exploded, and random, but always small samples. And, and for the moment, so far so good, it worked. Um, we really were able to contain um, uh, the uh, explosive phase of the curve, uh, our curve was always logarithmic. It started like this, and it went like this, and it now it's coming down. 
to what do you attribute this voluntary compliance that we've seen? I mean, it isn't that Uruguayans are naturally isolated people. I mean, anyone who's no. been to the Ramla on a Sunday or seen the family Asados know that this is a, a country that's quite warm and, and quite engaged socially. And yet without mandatory you know, quarantines, without detentions, you know, you did see the movement of Uruguayans, you know, reduced dramatically. And again, that wasn't the only factor that would have made it maybe a high risk of a spread. You have a generally older population. You're highly concentrated sure. in urban areas. Um, so there were various factors that would have led some to think that Uruguay had a bigger challenge than perhaps some other country. I, I don't want to go the rule, uh, Benjamin, of Uruguayan exceptionalism. We are as everybody else. So we need to look for it's not uh, our DNA. It's something that is beyond that. It's two things, uh, leadership, responsible leadership, which many countries share. And I would say uh, the same reasons why uh, Uruguay is an island of democracy, uh, respect for the rule of law, uh, predictability, uh, uh, institutionalized processes that guarantee the checks and balances and make us a very boring country. Uh, we really take pride in being boring because we are predictable. What you see is what you get. You may like it, you might not. I always say to investors, if you want to come here to make a good buck, there's another place. If you want to come here to plan strategically for the future, to grow and to expand your business, this is the only place to be because what's going to happen today will happen tomorrow, the day after tomorrow, and for the foreseeable future, no matter what, which government is in, in, in office. So I think that that same degree of attachment to institutions uh, actually worked wonders in this pandemic because uh, people trust their government, uh, the transparency of the government, uh, the leadership, and uh, they act in consequence uh, in ways that are exposed responsible. Now, there is a country nearby Uruguay that has not shared in its trajectory when it comes to COVID-19. Um, didn't respond early, um, has not had such a coordinated response on the national level, um, and poses potential you know, contagion risks to Uruguay. Of course, I'm referring to your neighbor, Brazil. Now, neither Uruguay or Brazil are highly densely populated right on the border region, um, but it's clearly been a concern. Uruguay has increased its you know, checkpoints along the border. How does the very serious outbreak in Brazil potentially impact Uruguay? Uh, this is a very interesting dimension, um, uh, Benjamin, very interesting. So you can see how cooperation uh, can still, and coordination can still work, even when two countries are perhaps pursuing different national strategies. We share uh, a very large uh, dry border. I know you say that in English, dry border with Brazil. Um, so it's a complex Situation. It's a, a very permeable border. Uh, uh, basically, you cross the street and you are in Brazil, and you cross back the street and you are in Norway. So, from the beginning, and, and in this, I want to, to, I mean, highlight the extraordinary cooperation that we found from Itamaraty in Brazil. 
we decided that we were going to treat all the border cities that we share as one city, two countries. So what does that mean? If it is one city and we don't want to meddle with the daily life of these cities in which people work on one side and live in the other, earn their income on one side and buy their food in the other, uh, we don't want to meddle with that. It's exactly the same city, but it's two countries. It's a natural experiment. So what route did we go? Look, we need to cooperate in this small confine of the border cities. How do we cooperate? We decided to mirror the uh, initially border sealing measures in order to avoid uh, the people that live in these border cities from being unable to cross the border uh, first. And now, as we speak, Benjamin, uh, given that we had a small a mini crisis in the border two or three days ago, we are coordinating and cooperating with Brazil. We just created a, a binational commission that will uh, uh, coordinate every sanitary policy in the border cities. No matter what Brazil is doing or Uruguay is doing, we are going to be doing the same thing at one side and the other of the border in a coordinated way. So, so uh, we can contain uh, the spread and, uh, immediately the way Uruguay did from the outset. Minister, another foreign affairs aspect of this pandemic came quite early in your time in the, in the foreign ministry, which was oh, Operacion Todos en Casa, this <laughs> extraordinary effort that you led to repatriate Uruguayans from all over. The figures I've seen, it was nearly 4,000 Uruguayans who were stranded overseas um, that you helped to bring back. I think there's fewer than 300 that still need to return, coming as far away as the United Arab Emirates from Thailand, Australia. Why was this such a priority? How did that effort contribute to the esprit de corps that you discussed earlier that may have led to such high levels of compliance with social distancing norms and the absence of you know, strong quarantine measures? Benjamin, um, this uh, all-at-home uh, program had two, two pillars, again. And this is in the best humanitarian tradition of Uruguay. Uh, we simply basically, as I said publicly, this was not an option. It was an ethical duty. And that's it. I mean, like, uh, I think... Uh, it was in the movie Spider-Man, so I'm citing very profound academic literature that um, I don't remember the name of, of the uncle, uh, Peter Parker, but he said, there's sometimes in life that you uh, have free will and sometimes you simply uh, exercise your responsibility. So this was a question of responsibility and that's it. So we did two things. First, we decided three days into the declaration of the emergency that we were going to repatriate every Uruguayan that was stranded. And we came up with a very clear definition of stranded. Stranded meant somebody who had the intention of coming back to the country before April 12th, and they were somehow floating in the limbo and not being able to come. We have half a million Uruguayans living abroad. They were not included in the repatriation effort because we did not bring back half a million people, but 
those people that were stranded, we made a very substantial effort in trying to bring everybody home without even having a, a, an airline that has a national flag. So it was pretty difficult to do it. And this is the important thing, uh, Benjamin, on this pillar. We decided that if we were to err on the side of restriction of generosity in closing our boundaries, we were to err in the side of generosity. So we accepted from the inability to come uh, into Uruguay foreigners that are residents, foreigners that are uh, uh, actually in, in process of obtaining their residency. They could come in, uh, diplomats, uh, tribulations from, from aircraft, from, from, from ships, uh, from uh, lorries that were coming in with merchandise, uh, uh, people that come to Uruguay seeking refuge, refugees, uh, they were all allowed to come in, uh, in spite of the fact that we closed our borders. And then we have the other pillar that had to do with allowing uh, foreign nationals to use Uruguay as a humanitarian corridor to go back home safely. And we sent back home approximately a thousand people to over 50 countries. Uh, and uh, cruise ships, fishing boats, um, scientific ships, you name it. The symbolic uh, icon of this operation was Greg Mortimer because the pandemia exploded on board. So we had to transform the, the, the ship into a hospital. We had to send doctors to the boat. We had to uh, organize the descent of people into Uruguayan uh, uh, hospitals in life-threatening situations. We had to organize the evacuation in coordination with other countries, in this case, Australia, of Australian and New Zealand nationals back home in a medical uh, flight. We did the same with the US, Canada, um, Great Britain and Europe. Uh, we did the same. Uh, we had to uh, allow the, the crew to come down and lodge them in, 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 in local hotels to be able to process the quarantine because the boat was so full with the virus that they just simply the passage of time didn't allow them to get out or be impossible. So we still have Filipinos and people from Honduras and Nicaragua and Isla Mauricio, you name it, in Uruguayan hotels, luckily getting better, becoming negative and allowing them to go to go back home. So we think uh, that we essentially were showing to the world simply who we are. And uh, that's who we are in this, uh, in this uh, um, very difficult and trying times, this very small country lost in, the, in some place uh, down in the south of the earth. Uh, uh, I mean, there is a country that honors its humanitarian tradition. And even in these very trying times, we decided that we would cooperate rather than adopt 
a selfish attitude and uh, and that implied risk yes it did we were prepared to take them uh, because it's, this is this is who we are Foreign Minister Ernesto Talvi, you've been so generous sharing your time and your insights with us. Thank you so much. Congratulations on all your success. It's been a, a very challenging and interesting start to your time in the foreign ministry and you've clearly risen to the occasion. Stay tuned for part two of our conversation with Foreign Minister Ernesto Talvi, where we discuss Uruguay's approach to the Venezuela crisis, its relationship with Argentina, and the future of Mercosur. This episode of To The Point was produced and edited by Oscar Cruz. For more on this subject, visit our website, www.wilsoncenter.org lap. Thanks for listening.